This is Damon Albarn, and you're listening to Hallelujah Monkeys, the number one gorillas podcast in the world. Hello and welcome to Hallelujah Monkeys for January 8th. 2018. I'll say the year this time. My name is Dylan Flynn. My name is Trevor Ickrath. Dylan, welcome back to Hallelujah Monkeys. Back in the saddle again. It has been quite a while since we recorded an episode. I think it's it been has. at least a month since we sat down to talk about Bobby Womack and the bravest man. I mean, for, for the listeners, that you you did a pretty good job, you know, filling the gap a bit. There was a little bit of a hiatus, but not nearly as long as there was, you know, in in real life. No, we got to listen to me and Max and talk about One Hit Wonders for a while. How do I sound? Do I sound tired or do I just sound like myself? I think you sound okay. This is It sounds like just any other episode of Hallelujah Monkeys. Good. I, I have, certainly I've like gone through a looking glass. Like my life is very different now. <laughs> what is it, like some kind of Darren Aronofsky film or something like that? Yeah, you know, it's like nobody told me. I thought I thought by now this baby would be walking around and like finding her own food, but no, they you gotta, take forever to do that kind of stuff. You got to do everything for these things, man. Yeah, yeah. I will. I will give you one little peek into my life, though. Is that so? In order to get her to sleep after a feed, if she's not particularly sleepy, I have to rock her and pet her head and keep her pacifier in her mouth and sing lullabies to her. So I kind of rotate through a bunch of different things that I sing. And uh, and I've had some pretty good success with Busted in Blue, so I think that nice. bodes. That I was, bodes gonna, I was well. wondering if any gorilla songs were working their way in there. I don't know what else I would try. Maybe one, two, D, three. One, two, D, three would be a good one. Very, you know, repetitive. Kind of lulls you into that that state. Yeah, hip albatross, maybe. Yeah, I could, I could, try, I could try either of those and give you a status report. See if they the work. Sounder, <laughs> including the rap. Just cradling your baby doing that five life cycle rap. This music that's making you lose it. <laughs> Do you want to talk about the news? Let's talk about the news. It's all good news now. Uh, okay, so a little bit of housekeeping slash podcast news first. The deadline uh, for the for the submissions for the Patreonkeys Club bonus episode uh, it has passed. You can no longer. Uh, you can still donate five or more dollars to our Patreon, but it will not allow you to pick an album for Trevor and I to review on the on the upcoming bonus episodes of this podcast. Uh, Patreon exclusive bonus episodes. Let me let me make that clear. We I'm pro- sure we'll I'm sure we'll reopen that up at some point, though, right? I imagine more than yeah. likely, right? Yeah. But for now, we have like more than a year's worth of episodes to get through because we're going to do That'll one be a month. lot of fun. I'm I'm really looking forward to talking about those. Very exciting. Very exciting. Yeah. So, so the way it's going to work is if you. Uh, you can still donate one or more dollars on the Patreon, and that'll give you access to these episodes. You have to you have to be a patron to get access to these episodes. They're going to come out uh, every month on the twenty third because you know twenty three. That's an important number to this band. Uh, and we're going to get through all of these currently thirteen bonus episodes that we have in store for you. So special thanks. I want to shout out the names. I want to say thanks to Allison, Austin, Brady, Charlotte, Chris, Glove the Glove. Gwen, Insomnia, Jam, Jeff, Mark, Carmen, and Rush Hour Duck uh, for for donating at the five dollar or more level uh, to to submit an album for Trevor and I to review for you guys. So I'm very excited about that. Yeah, thank you, everybody. Look for the first one on the on the twenty third of this month. That'll be great. Can't wait. Okay, Gorillas news, right? There's that's the thing. Right, we've got a couple <laughs> things to talk about. I was kind of hard, like you know, I always try to hold it to three stories, Trevor. But there's been so much time off that like. There, there are definitely stories that were like on a, on an average week would have been good enough for this segment that I just kind of had to throw out, you know. Right, but a lot of the stories we have this week, it feels like are kind of looking forward to the future rather than focusing on stuff that's actually happened. In the spirit of the new year, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Looking ahead, let's briefly look back and check in with the live dates. There hasn't been a live date, I don't think, since the sixteenth of December. But right before that, they did those shows at the O2. Some interesting stuff there, Trevor. Yeah, like the Pauline Black version of Charger. <laughs> weird. I, so that weird. This would have I would it would have taken me a couple seconds to realize what was going on if I had been with the show. How many unreturned voicemails from from Grace Jones do you have to leave before you call Pauline Black to ask her to show up for the O2 performance? <laughs> I gotta say, Pauline Black has like ruined isn't the right word. 
Fatih changed Charger for me because I cannot listen to the original version without her coming in on my head during that first chorus. She's left an indelible thumbprint. Trying to find her ion charge. I'm slightly more interested, though, in this version of We Got the Power that they did. Right, with Noel Gallagher's deleted verse. Yes, I can't find a recording of this anywhere. They, like, live-streamed a couple of the performances, songs from this performance, but not We Got the Power. And also, it also had Lil Sims doing something in addition to Jenny Beth's normal performance. So this was just like a crazy clusterfuck of a We Got the Power. Yeah, an action-packed version. You, uh, you're, not, you're not too big on Oasis, right? So if I asked you which Gallagher's vocals you prefer, would you be able to tell me which one? Yeah, I'd be able to tell you. I like Liam's vocals more than Noel's vocals, I think. I like Noel's better. See, that's crazy. It's crazy to me that you ever speak about Liam Gallagher with any fondness, because if not if not for his singing, what is his use in this world? I like his singing, <laughs> but there was a performance, there was an MTV Unplugged Oasis performance in the 90s where Liam didn't feel like going, Great. so Noel sang all the songs himself uh, while... Liam sat in the audience and jeered at him. <laughs> why did he? Why did? Why was he there and refusing to play? <laughs> to make fun of Noel. <laughs> what a fucking dick. <laughs> anyway, yeah, Noel sings all those songs better. What a dick. I, I do like Noel's uh, uh, voice. I think it's a little sweeter. A little sweeter. It's got less of that sneer. Yeah, a little less of that sneer. Uh, okay, so let, here's let's look forward into the future. So Jamie Hewlett. In an interview recorded uh, via telephone during his book signing tour, so this is fucking recent. This is not middle-of-the-year shit. Jamie Hewlett confirmed that the new Gorillaz album is coming this year. He said, we are working on another Gorillaz album, which we are releasing next year, so we're going straight into the album with no break. Usually we have a good five-year break, but we decided let's keep going because there's ideas for a few more albums. So that's going to be all of next year and probably the year beyond that. Whoa, shit. And he also says, I'm inventing a new style for the next album, which is exciting. Damon starts sending me demos for the new songs, and it's exciting to hear the new direction of the music as well. So then he started bombing his Instagram, like, as recently as yesterday, there was more coming out, of, like, little pieces of new Gorillaz art that are all very striking, very interesting. Yeah, there's, like, there's Noodle with a guitar, 2D learning to play guitar. Is this going to be, like, a guitar-centric Gorillaz album? What's going on? Well, it's, it seems like if he's saying he's reacting to these demos and, and their style or whatever, that would that would stand to reason that this is going to be, like... Maybe this is maybe he just listened to all the fans and he's like they want me to sing on every song and they want guitars. <laughs> yeah. Noodles wearing a cowboy hat with an acoustic so I'm I'm thinking maybe we're going to be getting quite a bit of Idaho-esque material maybe. And and the the style I would describe is like very comic booky, you know? It's like it's it's much more graphic I think than than a little bit, yeah. You know, kind of aping the sort of murky realistic phase two style or the phase three style it's very interesting style i'm excited about it yeah and thinking about getting two gorillas albums in as many years i mean i know we had the fall but that's a point of contention thinking about that that's it's really crazy really crazy even crazier continuing the revelation so then uh gorillas took over represent radio for like four days and had like four days of these crazy shows and and i'm still kind of pouring through that back catalog but one of the big like morsels that was dropped during Damon Albarn's takeover session was that uh, the song Hollywood, which we'd previously, which was written, I think, the the night that we met Damon Albarn. And Arthur. Of course, and Arthur. And then was sound checked once and has not made any appearances since. Like, I think it leaked out. We knew Jamie Principal was on the song, right? Right. But it turns out we've got a former member of the Gorillaz Fold coming back. Snoop Dogg is apparently on this track. What the fuck? That's crazy. That's crazy. That's really crazy. If you had asked me like what Gorilla's guest from the past was going to come back for like a new single, I would he wouldn't have been in like the first 10 answers I gave you. Do you think it's possible that he's he's like cannibalizing the stuff that Snoop did for the human sessions that never made it on and like Hollywood sort of grew out of some of that because I mean at the beginning of all this he's like I have 40 songs so maybe he's just yeah. kind of like adapting some of that stuff or something totally possible honestly Snoop Dogg being back is cool more than anything I'm hyped to be getting more Jamie Principal I, I'm excited to hear what like those two gentlemen do together on a song that's what yeah, I want. that'll be a lot of fun and like if they if someday if they tour this record and both of them are on tour and they do it live together come on oof 
Man. And Hollywood is confirmed to be on that on that new as yet untitled 2018 Gorillas album, Trevor. I can't wait. You know, more stuff to talk about on the show. More Gorillas. What an exciting time. What yeah. an exciting time. Yeah. Uh, maybe we should look back to a time that was a little bit less exciting and a little bit more maybe maybe like wistful and quiet and, and dreary. Should we do that? Right. We've 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 got a we've got a we've got a season to wrap up. So do you want to do you want to get to the round table? Let's get to the round table. All right. So now, Dylan, over the course of this season, we've been reviewing albums that feature two or more Gorillas collaborators, and I've been prefacing each one by telling you and the listeners a little story about the people they're made by. Right? Correct. Just to kind of flesh out the backgrounds of these albums that some members of our audience may not be quite as familiar with. Yes, I've I've grown very fond of this part of the season, but uh, I'm not going to do that today. Oh my! Oh, I'm not going to tell you any stories about uh, English whales or cartoons for grown-up stoners or. Even how hard it is to make a Mandarin opera. Twist, twist. Today, I'm going to tell a story about you. Me? Kind of, because uh, in this story, you're a baby elephant. (laughs) (laughs) I'm with you. I'm with you. All right, so you're a baby elephant, and you live in a place called Mukamazi, which is a beautiful national park in the United Republic of Tanzania in Eastern Africa. Uh-huh. But you've only lived there for a little while, because uh, you used to live out in the wild with your mother, but a few months ago she passed away. Oh, that's so sad. And you were fine wandering around by yourself for a while, but eventually you caused a little trouble after you somehow managed to stumble right into the middle of an African aerodrome, you know, as baby elephants are wanting to do. <laughs> right, like an airplane's trying to land and shit, and I'm hanging out. And after that, some people decided it might be a good idea to help you find a new place to live. And that place was Mukamazi. Oh, okay. And you miss your mom, but the park is really nice. The people there take good care of you, and they give you plenty of tasty fruits and herbs to eat, and they play you gospel music, which you love. Oh, great. And they even let you watch this little TV that you get to keep in your room. If there's two things I, a baby elephant, love, it's TV and Jesus Christ. So I'm glad that both of them have a place in my life now. But uh, anyways, one day, everyone in Mukamazi gets really excited because the park is going to have a special guest. A king. Hmm. That's right. You wake up one morning to find everyone blustering around in a hurry, trying to get things ready for this visiting monarch who supposedly rules over one of the nations on the opposite side of Africa. Oh, intimidating, intimidating. Yeah, yeah. It's not the first time he's visited, and everyone really loves having him around. But you, you're nervous. After all, you've never met a king before. You're just a baby elephant. Just a baby elephant. Yeah, so you spend all day worried about what's going to happen when you meet this king. But when they finally bring him by your room, guess what? You never needed to worry at all because he absolutely loves you. Aww. He takes one look at you, and he goes blimey this is the best baby elephant i've ever seen this is the kind of baby elephant you could write a song about and he does right there on the spot he whips out a ukulele and he makes up a little song just about you do i do a little dance where like i step kind of two legs at a time to the rhythm of it you have some kind of reaction to it but we'll, we'll talk about that later <laughs> but you know life in Makamazi, it's been pretty good but sitting there with this king playing a ukulele and giving you a private performance of a song he wrote just about you it's the happiest you felt since before your mother died Aww. and he spends a little more time with you uh, figuring out a few more parts of your song but then it's time for you to take your afternoon nap and for him to get going uh, but as you curl up on the big blanket you keep in your room knowing that you'll never forget the day you met a king you know because elephants never forget anything <laughs> you hear one of the people who run the park say something to him as he's leaving He says, uh, lovely song you wrote there, your majesty. And the king nods and says, yeah, I I think I might use it for a record I've been working on lately. And the guy says, an elephant song for your gorilla's band, your highness? (laughs) No, no, the king replies, actually, I've been working on some music to release under my own name. What do you think about that? Do you think the world's finally ready for an album by Damon Albarn? Oh, twist, it was Damon Albarn the whole time? (laughs) And the park worker smiles and says... (laughs) I'm sure it'll be a work worthy of your name, your majesty. And the king laughs and says, you don't have to call me that, you know. I don't, the park worker says. No, the king tells him. You can just call me Damon. Aww. (laughs) My my giant elephant heart is beating with pride. (laughs) We're talking about Everyday Robots, the first solo album by Damon Auburn. 
Yeah, 2014, that's not that long ago. No, but it's quite a way into this dude's career for him to finally be putting out an album with his own name on it. I mean, unless you count, like, Demo Crazy, which is which is barely a release, so... Dr. D, that opera, was also a Damon Auburn record, wasn't it? Yeah, it's like, it's like the, the, he, ha, he has some releases and some singles, but they're all asterisky. This is the first time that, like, you properly get a Damon Albarn record, you know? Yeah, like 24 years into his career. The reason, of course, we're talking about it in this season is you're going to see a lot of familiar names cropping up. Uh, Mike Smith, uh, Jeff Wooten, Shea Adelaken, and one very special uh, guest contributor who I'll, I'll keep in my pocket until we get there. Interesting. I think I might know who you're talking about, but those musicians all kind of come together on this record to form... Damon's house band, which would become his live band, The Heavy Seas. Yeah, The Heavy Seas. The only person who's missing here, and who I desperately wish was on this record, we'll get to that, is Gabe Wallace, the the live drummer. I wish I wish there was some Gabe Wallace on here, but uh, that would have been cool. Yeah. This uh, this record, before we even lay down our, our adjectives, what was your kind of history with this before we started it on this podcast? Well, back in 2014 when it first came out, I was pretty out of the Gorillas fandom. Uh huh. So I like barely paid any attention to it. I think I listened to it like once. Needless to say, it didn't really grab me. I actually did revisit it uh, one more time back around when Humans first came out. But again, it didn't really hold my interest. And by that point, I knew we'd be covering it for the show at some point. So I didn't really try to get any further into it besides I had Humans to listen to. Not being grabbed it would also probably be my history with this record as well. I was definitely interested in this when it was coming out. I I'd reached a point in my relationship with Gorillaz where I kind of was like, well, I'm still a Damon Albarn fan. I don't listen to Gorillaz that much anymore, but uh, I want to see what the old boy's doing. And I just remember the singles, the first few singles coming out and me kind of shrugging them off, like, I don't know. Uh, and then listening to the record, like you said, once or twice and, and being like, well, that was that was fine, but I just had bigger fish to fry you know it was it was yeah and there's just not a lot of exciting stuff going on here no it it i think it rewards a closer look uh but it's not it isn't with a few exceptions it's not very you know big and explosive and i mean 2014 you had like run the jewels 2 and and uh 1989 and lots of records that were that were really really vying for my attention that uh i think it also helps if you're a damon fan in this instance because we get it's kind of one of the first almost like closer looks into his life that we get from like a uh, no filtered kind of perspective. Agreed. Uh, yeah. I did have a, I did have an interesting time with this record over the last week, uh, listening to it in chunks in between changing shitty diapers <laughs> and putting a baby to sleep. And I was, I think the the sentimentality of it, you know, was working for me more now than it had in the past. Uh, do you have three adjectives for me today? It is a very sentimental album, and I wish kind of that was one of the adjectives I went with. Uh, but instead, I have monochrome, stately, mm -hmm. and pensive. I like all three of those. I like all three of those. Tell, tell me about monochrome. I mean, just the cover is just Damon sitting on a stool, totally gray. And mm -hmm. that's what I get from this album. Totally gray, colorless. There's not a lot jumping out here. It's all kind of chilly, kind of almost like sterile production. There's some warmth. I will say that there is some warmth. There's some warmth, definitely. There is some warmth here and there, but I feel like I'm looking at this performance through glass. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I feel you there. I feel you there. There is there is something kind of antiseptic about the presentation. Antiseptic is a good word for it, yeah. Um, it feels not quite like it was made in a lab, but it was made in some very clean conditions. I'm going to give you my adjectives, Trevor. I went with uh, I went with meditative and uh, cocoon-like and frustrating, frustrating, Trevor. I don't think I've I've ever been more kind of exasperated by an album that we've tackled for this podcast than I was from this. Uh, and it it really it all comes down to one thing, and that is I hate the way the drums are mixed on this record. I hate the way the drums are mixed on this record, Trevor. And I'm going to try to get this rant, I'm going to try to front load this rant so that I don't just keep bringing it up every single song. But it, Sure, they weren't a big problem for me, but what, what did you think uh, was the problem? There? I just think that they're really, they're really fat and unprocessed and separate from the mix. They never feel integrated. A lot of times they're very distracting from the songwriting and from the rest of the arrangement. This, this I think, totally, this squarely, I think, falls in... in Richard Russell's lap. I think he 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 
has all of the blame here. He's the yeah. We met him last week. Richard Russell first collaborated with Damon on that Bobby Womack solo album, Bravest Man in the Universe. He handles a lot of production work here uh, and a lot of the drum machines. I think all the drum machines. Right? Damon was a little. He didn't really want to dip his toes back into the whole drum programming thing after Plastic Beach. Yeah, he had a spirit broken by Plastic Beach, and and I think that it's it, this is terrible. I think the sequencing is fine. The programming is fine. It's the it's the samples that he's using and the kind of mixing that he's doing that just it sounds like it sounds like something I might have thrown together in my closet in high school. It just sounds super amateur and hurts so many of these songs in my opinion. This this fat, you know, way too pulsy, way too raw drum sound that that just does not integrate with the rest of the sound of this record in my opinion. Um, I think Richard seems like a talented dude, obviously a very successful dude, but I, by the end of this week, I was just, I was thankful that it seems by all appearances that this creative partnership has run its course. Cause I was kind of, I was very ready to say goodbye to Richard Russell by the end of all of this. That's interesting. I actually thought a lot of the drums as well as like a lot of the instrumentation on the album in general was very nondescript. Like I couldn't really tell you what's going on in a lot of these tracks off the top of my head. Even now when you're talking about these drums, I can't really remember too many instances um, of feeling like the drums are too much or even what the percussion tracks on all of these songs even sound like. Yeah, I I don't know. To me, I guess the effect was was corrupting enough that like I would almost wish for like a let it be naked treatment where this gets totally remixed by somebody else. Like uh, I think that there's this is a really interesting collection of Damon songs. I used... I use the the adjective cocoon like. I think it's easy to think of this as like a, <clears throat> a a period of metamorphosis that kind of brings us from one Damon Albarn to another Damon Albarn. Like this very so there's some proto humans ideas on here, um, and I, I just think that some of these songs would be more interesting and would jump out a lot better if it wasn't for Richard's production. The production here isn't really doing these songs any favors. But that, there's plenty to like here and lots to talk about. So so let's go ahead and get into these songs and we'll. We'll we'll take it piece by piece the way that we always do, Trevor. Yeah, we uh, let's start off with the title track, "Everyday Robots." They, they, they didn't know where they was going, but they knew where they was, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> We start with this with this uh, vocal sample from Lord Buckley, who was a, I mean, let's face it, who was a minstrel show comedian essentially. Right. He's from the uh, he's from the 1960s, and he's doing some real some real what they used to call cooning, some very offensive white dude being a, a silly, awkward black person voice stuff. Is it supposed to be? Is he supposed to be black? I, I know this is taken from a rant about a 15th century Spanish explorer. He's saying they didn't know what they was going, but they knew where they was, wasn't it? And then the audience kind of barely reacts, yeah. which is very funny. <laughs> like, they don't. That's, that's, a, that's a cool quote to kind of start this song off with. You know, it's kind of Damon saying that, like, we as humans know where we are right now, but because of, like, the violent and dramatic evolution of technology, we have no idea what could happen in, in the next few years or where we'll be then. I don't know if I like the—I guess I guess I like the, the themes or the—yeah, the, the themes behind— what's being sampled here i don't know if i needed it twice on the song no yeah it's not it's not really it doesn't really gel with the music enough to warrant that second repetition of that sample in my opinion and the way you just said that like sums up how i feel about this song in general i guess i like this uh yeah (laughs) like i uh, like I, i like when i like when damon approaches the whole like technology social media what's it doing to us thing you know it feels kind of old man-ish and like old man yells a cloud but like at the same time like he's kind of right and i like the way he does it like i'm into the lyric everyday robots just touch thumbs like that's a great way to say that like you know older more maybe legitimate forms of affection and connection have been replaced by just you know clicking a like button on facebook like a thumbs up which like that's that's good but also part of me is like uh you know but at the same time, at the same time, like the handling of the personal device issue on humans, I think is much more nuanced and much more interesting. Right. Where the cell phones on humans, he doesn't make a statement about them. They're just kind of, they're just imagery to color in the dystopia, you know? You know more, but you retain less. 
Exactly. And and the the message there isn't like these things are ruining our lives. It's just these things are everywhere. Yeah. We can't escape them. I, th- there is a get off my lawn feeling <laughs> a little bit here. But hey, let's check in on our friends here and throughout this record. The string arrangements were done by Mike Smith. Mike Smith, one of the last remaining phase one Gorillaz personnel to still be working with the band. Six-string bass on this song and on pretty much every song on this record, played by Jeff Wooten. Gotta love him. And here's interesting. So the the configuration of the Demon Strings is a little different, uh, Trevor, on this record than it was on The Bravest Man. The the string ensemble now has uh, violinist Stella Page and Antonia Pagolatos, I believe is how that's pronounced, and then cellist Isabel Dunn, who performed on Dirty Harry and El Manana and All Alone and Every Planet We Reach is Dead. So lots of Demon Days string people on this record and, and on most songs on this record. Most of the songs on this record have string arrangements. And I really love the strings, especially here. Uh, like during the last minute of this song, they really come in full force and it's very beautiful. Yeah, the way that the melody trades off with that one little sting, the violin sting that keeps happening. That almost sounds like a sample, doesn't it? It does. I think it might actually be live, but kind hmm. of like looped or, or you know, something originally tracked that's being looped. It's very distinct, and it's one of the most attention-grabbing pieces of music on this entire record, I think. It's like almost stilted, but in a way that I think does kind of work. I think this song is pretty. I think this song is pretty. It's just, it's just a bit slight. This might not bear well for how much I enjoy the rest of the record. This is in my top three. It's not in my top three, and and I think that there's probably six songs on this record I might place a little higher than it. Um, but but it, it, as a first single, I don't think it it lit anybody on fire with excitement for this record. Definitely not. When this dropped, it was kind of like, oh yeah, is this what, this is what he's up to now. <laughs> it's so weird though, right? Because I mean, you got Damon Auburn, his his main band Blur is so full of life. You got like all these wacky character explorations and stuff like that and that's cool then you get gorillas and it's this this wild project that like you know anything feels like it can happen within it and then when he finally puts out a record under his own name it's this just this kind of like piano strings dirgy kind of stuff yeah talking about a lot about modern day england and things he's done in africa and talking about it in a very melancholy way yeah i would expect something a little more indicative of the Damon Auburn that we've seen in other projects here. You know what I mean, though? I honestly, honestly, though, I think some of this material is being hurt by Richard Russell. I think some of these songs are interesting, are more interesting than their treatment on this record. Let's look at another song. Let's let's go straight into track two, Hostels, which I would describe as firmly in the so-so category. <laughs> very pretty but it's also very very boring isn't it yeah it really is like the chorus is beautiful but i think the lyrics also really land with a thud yeah to this play of communications which like is this line that barely has a melody the lyrics here are pretty impressionistic there's a couple of awkward nods to the the personal technology theme like when he says when the lcd and all the player ones you can be that's very weird he falls back on lcds a lot throughout this record (laughs) yeah for some reason that's a phrase that crops up a lot i also wanted to talk about this little interview he gave with the sunday times about this song where he he says it's um partly to do with the way so many people watch films where characters with no backstory are just being annihilated look at video games hostiles is the name given to the enemy first of all i've never heard anybody refer to bad guys in video games hostiles yeah me either they're just given no backstory there's no humanity yet they're given human shape I mean, that's kind of an interesting idea, but I don't know if it comes through at all in this song. <laughs> well, he also says the song is also about those days where you're so fucking hungover, you can't do anything. You just sit there and stare into the middle distance. <laughs> I think that comes off a little bit more. Yeah, sitting, just sitting there and staring into the middle distance is what I spend a lot of this album doing. I do like during I do like in the arrangements during the hook where with the little like piano tickling that's going on and I like the little background vocals that's very subtle. Yeah, there are some nice moments and it's a very pretty song, like I said. It's just really, really boring. It's just a, it's very so so, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. Let's talk about uh, Lonely Press Play. That was like I think the second and slightly more uh impactful single from this record. 
This is actually my favorite song on the album. It doesn't make my top three, but I do like it. Shame about those drums. I really think that the tone of these drums is all wrong, dude. Like, it's like these drums very much have a note that they're resonating, and it's not a note that's in the song, and it just like fucks the whole thing up for me. I really don't like it. I really, I actually like the percussion here, especially that like camera shutter sound. I think that's really cool. I don't know. I like the programming. I just don't like any of the decisions that are being made about tone and what kind of drums. And, you know, it just, that hurts the song a lot to me. I feel like with a sip of this, with like a, with like a sip of coffee, the song could have been a real jam and it already kind of is a jam. It's also very relatable. Like I don't, I don't see myself in a lot of Damon Albarn lyrics. Um, like maybe aside from that one in the swagger about, thinking you're going to die when it's 4 o'clock in the morning. And Mr. Tembo now. And Mr. Tembo, obviously, is somewhat autobiographical of my life. Uh, but but I think that these lyrics are very relatable about turning to, to music uh, to feel like you're not alone, feeling like... Totally, totally. But there's some cool little mysterious stuff going on here, too. Like in the second verse, uh, swimming in blue after New Year into the mirror she flew. What does that mean? I don't know, but that's nice, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I, I don't know. I like a lot of this. Uh, can I get any closer? What antidote can I bring to you? A lot of it's good. Do you get the sense on that line on can I get any closer that it's, it almost sounds like David is like one footstep away from seeing if he can if, seeing if he can get his falsetto going again, but like he doesn't quite have the balls to try it yet? Definitely. Yeah, I know exactly <laughs> what you mean. I like the um, I like the backing vocals on this one too, though. This is I think that this song again is is really strong, like from a songwriting perspective, and and some of the production is really interesting. But something's holding it back, man. Something's holding it back, in my opinion. I still like the drums, especially that camera shutter that we keep cutting to. I think that's really cool. This song's got a nice kind of groove to it. I like the way it moves. This is nice, though. This is a keeper, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, I also like the transition of that drums into the next song, Mr. Tembo. In Chile, in Chile, can I sing with you about Mr. Tembo and what he's got to do? Uh, we talked about it a little at the top. This is a song that Damon Alburn wrote for a baby elephant in a national park in Africa. This is totally a top three on this record for me. This is a top three. It's a real breath of fresh air. It's like nice and jaunty. This album totally could have used a few more pieces like this one, I think. I totally agree. And I think I think that some people I've heard kind of sneer at this song for being like, you know, silly or sounding like children's music. But I just like, open your heart. This is a very sweet song. It really is peak Goofy Dad Damon, though. You know, like I was reading up on this one. Apparently he writes Goofy songs like this one for his daughter all the time. And sometimes he even plays them for her at her birthday parties. But he said in an interview around this time that he had to stop doing that after one year where she got so embarrassed that she started crying. (laughs) And I get the impression that Mr. Tembo could have been the one that made her cry. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Missy Albart, you you poor, poor kid. <laughs> hey, so the six-string bass is being played by Jeff Wooten, but do you know who arranged the bass on the song? Was it Paul Simonon? It was! But yeah, we, we got a little, we got a little, the ghost of Paul Simonon on this track. Gorilla's Family, Gorilla's Family Reunion. Yeah. Uh, there's more Lord Buckley here, which is unfortunate. <laughs> I, I kind of like it here. It makes me picture Damon on a safari where nothing is going right. That whole that whole uh, uh, interlude with the rap is very is very interesting, though. Should we talk about that? I, I love how bored and unfazed by everything he sounds. <laughs> I list off the things he says. Because sure. it's not really a rap. It's just kind of like a list. He says, canals, cows, hay bales, telegraph wires, pylon power, farmhouse over chimneys still used. Stone, satellites, football pitches, faded flags, and lots of dogs. Neon cross on top of a block of flats and a church, not as usual. It is a bit of a head-turner moment, I think, to hear Damon say pylon power outside of Ryan's <laughs> It is, it is. I was like, wait a second, what band am I, I listening I to? I think he's just describing things that he saw in Tanzania. I think he's just right. explaining the landscape of Tanzania. Um, I wonder if, so this is the first appearance we have of the Leighton Stone Missionary Choir, um, which is significant, Trevor, because Damon Albarn grew up in Leighton Stone. Uh, so it's, it's, there's something that's very like 
self-cannibalizing about uh, about using a Leighton Stone choir on this record. And it makes me wonder, is this Richard Russell's big trick? You know, because he did it with Bobby. He did it with Gil Scott Heron. Does Richard Russell just, like, get you to think about your past and your childhood when he produces your record? Is that his thing? Possibly. I mean, this is more introspective than... I mean, not this moment in particular, but on this album, Damon does get more introspective than we've seen him get in quite some time. Maybe ever. Maybe ever. You know, there's there's that moment in Andromeda, I guess, but even that's a little bit more, like, obfuscated and, and yeah. blink and you miss it. Um, yeah. I love Mr. Tembo, though. It's probably my favorite song on this record. I really like it. Definitely could have used a few more songs like this one. I always kind of wanted somebody, like you know, who has the time because it wouldn't be hard to do to make a version of Mr. Tembo that's like segued in by the interlude about the elephant, the confetti coming out of its nose. (laughs) Speaking of things coming out of elephants, we should say that the reaction that Mr. Tembo had to hearing um, this song played for him, do you know what it was? No, I don't know. Oh, he pooped. (laughs) Well, then he must have liked it. Hey, he just shat himself. Damon, there's an interview where Damon talks about it very specifically. He says, like, he sets the whole scene like they were sitting on opposite sides of a campfire or something. Uh-huh. Him and the elephant. And, like, while Damon is playing this song, the elephant just kind of creeps a little closer to him while he's playing. But then he, like, goes back a few steps and he shits himself. <laughs> it's a cute song. It's a cute song. It is. It does yeah. evoke somehow a baby elephant, too. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Then we have this, like, little interlude called Parakeet. Which is nice. This is cute. It's cute. It feels like something that almost like something that kind of could have ended up on Seaside or something, you know? Like Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's there's a, a little bit of a backstory to this, Trevor, which is that I guess when they were filming the film The African Queen, they accidentally introduced parakeets into Great Britain. And parakeets are like, there's nothing that'll eat them in Great Britain. So every now and then, there'll just be these flocks of parakeets that fly overhead in England. And, and Damon was explaining how it feels like a little bit like space invaders. They make these weird noises and they swoop overhead. So that's what he was kind of thinking about when he when he made this little interlude. Hmm. Interesting. It is interesting. Here, let's, talk, yeah. let's talk about the selfish giant. Speaking of interesting, I think this song is very interesting, Trevor. Celebrate the passing drive. This one's pretty cool. It's got um, backing vocals by Natasha Khan, who records as Bat for Lashes. Have you ever listened to any of her stuff? Yeah, when she was like the toast of the blogs, I, I listened to that big album of theirs. She had a lot of pitchfork hype for a while, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm a couple, I think I might be a couple releases behind on her, but she's got some good albums. You know, uh, Two Sons was really cool. And a lot of this album actually reminds me of one of her older records, uh, The Haunted Man. I think that was her third album. That's totally worth checking out. She makes a nice color when her voice mixes in with Damon's here, I think. Yeah, yeah, I like her a lot. Way to go, Natasha. This hook is really nice, especially that line, it's hard to be a lover when the TV's on and nothing is in your eyes. I like that lyric. That is a very good one. I really like the second verse here, too, where Damon sings, uh, Press Yourself to Me Right Now, with nothing behind him but the piano and those weird synths. That's great. But what do you make of that really weird piano solo that comes in? And when it comes in, it almost feels like somebody's accidentally playing another song over the song. <laughs> I don't. It's just a weird choice. It's very odd. It's very odd. I do like how slowly it starts to feel like it belongs more and more, but it's a very weird moment. It's a nice effect, but I like don't need it. And you know, overall, this one falls into the hostiles category uh, for me. It being very pretty, but ultimately kind of boring. I think it's more interesting than hostiles. I think thematically, it's more interesting, and the arrangement's more interesting, and the hooks nicer. I think I'd put it above hostiles for sure, but they definitely feel in the same group. I like that little that little synth too. That little. I like that little thing, too. Um, Okay, okay. You and me, this is, I think, aside from Mr. Tembo's uh, indefatigable charm, I think this is the centerpiece of this record, you and me. I'm at Moco Jambi. He walks on stilts through old saints' road. I also think it's the centerpiece, but this is where Damon totally loses me. This and the next song... Like, it's a 12-minute stretch where I cannot care less. Not me. Not me. I'm so into this one. I like this one a lot. I think it's weird, and it's dreadful, and it's unique. I really love it. I love... I love the verses. So it's, bro- it's broken into two halves. There's the you half and the me half of it. Right. Uh, the first half, the verses are like 
almost atonal. Like, yeah, there's no melody, no tune. Damon's doing this weird, like he keeps moving down little minor steps and it's very dreadful and tense. It sounds like something from like Dr. D. And, and Brian Eno is playing synths on this record, on this song. That's neat. He'll show up again later. And, and the, what he's doing, what Eno's doing here, which is like this descending uh, synth, the soprano synth that like slowly descend really adds to this i think tension in in the u half of this record or the song and then and then the interlude happens and that steel drum comes in and it's so weird and and i think great like i don't usually like the sound of steel drum on pretty much anything other than like very authentic <laughs> indigenous uh, island music well you got richard russell to thank for that moment i like that moment quite a bit and then and then i love the the me half the blame me blame me blame me blame me that's so interesting i like that a lot better than the first half for sure it's i appreciate what's going on in the you section of this song but it is a real slog for me to sit through I don't think that this is a jam. I mean, I think it's art, but I but I love it. I think it's so interesting. Yeah. There's nothing like this, I don't think, in the Auburn chronology. I think that this is, like, totally unique. And I like how it kind of flips. So in the me section of it, like, the verses are very melodic and very, like, bright and clear. And then the 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 chorus is a little bit more impressionistic. But then in, like, the you section, it's kind of the opposite of that. Uh, I don't know. I'm all about this. This is very cool. This was, like... I don't think this stood out to me the couple of times I'd listened to this record before this week, but it was very striking to me uh, on, on this playthrough. It's something that I, I probably will go back to, you know, just just in single servings, uh, just because I find it, I don't know, I just find it very interesting. I find it very interesting. And I think that with the next song, uh, Hollow Ponds, this kind of creates a 12-minute stretch of music that totally loses me dead in the middle of this album and makes it really hard for me to get to the second half. Hollow Ponds, I think, is a, is pretty yawny. I'm not really interested in, in much that's happening here. Just another really long, five-minute, boring, tuneless slog. There's one... There's one nice moment about halfway through, I think, when Damon flashes back to 1993 and remembers seeing mm-hmm. the words Modern Life is Rubbish on a wall near Marvel. Yeah, Arc. yeah, yeah. That would, of course, go on to become the title of the second Blur album. So it's it's cool that we get that moment here, but like, oh man, this is a real, real long one to sit through. It's very explicitly autobiographical, obviously. He's like flashing back to specific moments uh, in his life and like, calling them out by year. Here's the interesting things about this song, okay? Uh, this song includes bass by Jeff Wooten, keys by Mike Smith, and guitar by Shea Adelaken. So you've got a big chunk of the Humans band playing here. That's very cool. I also kind of like the outro, like that French horn part I think is really nice. The horns are cool. I like when the horns come in. They add a nice little bit of texture to the song. And then right after that is like this really weird descending like strings, I think sample and then like a little noise piece. The outro I think is pretty interesting. But yeah, this is like a, it's a bit of a, it's an eye rubber. It's an eye rubber. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Doesn't help that it's five whole minutes long. No, it certainly doesn't. It certainly doesn't. And I think the only interesting lens to look at this through is like through the the Damon fanatic lens and being like, oh, he's talking about his life. You know, oh, modern life is rubbish. Wow. Yeah, that's the only interesting lens, I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, we should... Wait, you know what? We totally skipped over the coolest thing about You and Me, which is that... Oh, boy. You and Me is about the aftermath of these big carnivals when everybody has to clean up the garbage and it feels like it feels like the apocalypse that happened after a big party. That's what he said in an interview. That's so fucking humans. That is so humans. That is pretty humans, yeah. Just like a carnival. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> we'll, 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 move, we'll move past that. Just like a carnival. <laughs> Uh, we get the second and final of the interludes on this record, Seven High. Yeah, this one's longer than the last one, which is unfortunate because I don't like it as much. It sounds, you know, it sounds a lot like the kind of arrangements that Damon would use in that like really poorly received musical he worked on, Wonder Dot Land. Right. A lot of a lot of this kind of arrangements happen on that record. I will say that I think the instrumental interludes, while well, they kind of feel a bit pointless they do um a nice job of breaking the album up into thirds they do but are the thirds really that distinct in terms of their like the colors they're using or or the kinds of things they're talking about i don't necessarily think they are no not really they just kind of make me think of the album in different chunks and honestly i don't really love the last chunk that's coming up 
Oh, there's some stuff here that I really like. Yeah, you, you big enough photographs you are taking now? When the photographs you're taking now are taken down again. Okay, so the opening of the song is very stately, and I love the little process backing vocals that are cutting in and out in like really angular moments, and the melody feels really traditional, and the delivery feels really vulnerable, and then that Timothy Leary sample happens, and that's really cool. And then the... Right, it's from the 1964 audiobook, The Psychedelic Experience, a manual based on the Tibetan Book of the Dead, which has served as a point of inspiration for many notable songwriters like uh, John Lennon. And then the stupidest, fattest kick drums on this album come in and ruin this song. Like, ruin this song. The song becomes nothing but those kick drum triplets. But it doesn't feel like there was a lot going on in the first place. There was. There was. I didn't get it. Like, it didn't come through for me. It's so much richer. It's so much richer and more interesting before that drum drop. Like, I think there's a great song in here. I really think there's a great song in here. And I think also it would have stood out from a lot of this material. But it's rendered identical to everything else by that fucking, that stupid drum sound. Or, as Damon puts it, in this very song, the metronome that defeats you is the monochrome (laughs) that you see. (laughs) Like, I couldn't have said it better myself, Damon. (laughs) Yeah. That also speaks, um, you know, that speaks to my own experience the album too i just think that richard russell ruined this song and i again i think the outro here is nice because it's got that like that little pulsing backward strings and, and the drums become very muted and there's some nice piano like the outro is nice but the whole middle section just feels like blah just feel like a, a beige lump because of the production i think i think damon wrote a nice song here and it's and it's ruined i'm not gonna say richard russell ruined this song but he didn't help <laughs> he definitely didn't help he didn't help. Uh, okay. Uh, the next song is called The History of a Cheating Heart. And let's just get this out of the way. Guitar by Simon Tong. What's up, Simon Tong? Hey, there's our boy. Another, there's another our boy. members of the Grills family. Let me. What do you think about this idea that I wrote down? This feels like it almost could have been on 69 Love Songs. Um... One, the title, for sure. Like, absolutely. Like, that's Stephen Merritt as hell. It would have been one of my least favorite songs on 69 Love Songs because it doesn't have, like, a lot of that. Like, you know, it doesn't have that charming quirk to it. I think it's nice and small, and I think the strings are really nice on it, too. You know, I actually spent my first listen of this track this week, like, literally gritting my teeth, waiting for a stupid, like, Beat, beat to drop and when it didn't i was so relieved <laughs> like the fact that he just let this arrangement stay small and simple and and intimate is a is was a very good decision but you know small intimate also kind of boring nothing really going on in this song that grabs me i do like the lyric um back to the moment i feel the most i carry this upon my back always i think that's a great examination of you know how making art inspired by times of emotional hardship and pain means uh you know having to carry that pain around with you and continually submitting yourself to it right and i think and i think that that's really what the song is examining yeah having to confront your own darkest hours like uh in order to create art out of it and and you know he might be referring to that old country standard your your cheating heart will will shine on you uh but i also think that he's kind of saying that like if you're if you're writing about your life, you're also sort of cheating on the people who are in your life because they're they're ending up in your shit, you know, <laughs> in a way. Yeah, kind of. It's I don't know. I think it's interesting. I like the themes. I think uh, the arrangement's really nice, and I think it's it's small and it's not too long and it's sweet. Yeah, kind of gave me some like a uh, Green Hills vibes, you know, having this brief little folky song towards the end of the album as the second to last track. Are you about to tell me is this, is this about to happen? Are you about to tell me that you don't love this next song? Oh, yeah, not super into it. Heavy Seas of Love, the closer with Brian Eno doing the vocals. When your soul isn't right And it's raw to the night It's in your hands That's that's crazy. I love this fucking song. 
I like Brian Eno on the vocals a lot. I like his verses. You know, a lot of people think of him just as like an ambient artist and producer, but I've always enjoyed listening to him sing, especially on like, you know, back on his old records, like Another Green World, where he'd sing about like, you know, tying his shoes and stuff like that. I've I've never liked his voice more than I do in the context of it sort of mixing and, and contrasting with Damon Albarn's voice. I think that they they make it fa- a fascinating team, and I'd love for them to do some like David Byrne style pair-ups. I'd love them to do an album of duets together. That would that fucking rule. That would be very neat. I'd be I'd be here for that. This song though, just yeah, this one in particular doesn't do a lot for me. I think this is a top five Damon Albarn closing track. Really? I think that this is yes. I think and he's written some real classics too. I think this is terrific. Yes, the drums are over mixed here, but honestly, like the way that Eno's singing works, the way that it sounds very upfront and very like unfiltered makes the drums don't quite congeal with that, but but they fit here better than they do anywhere else on the record. I love the interplay between the two guys. The Leighton Stone Choir is back and sounds terrific. It wouldn't be a classic Damon closer without a, a vocal chorus to back him up. This feels like some kind of like forgotten 70s, like, like, uh, blue eyed soul standard, like a, like a Bowie outtake or something. I fucking love it. I love the hook. I think it's so much fun. And it's like, it's the perfect, like, amount of an exclamation mark to put it at the end of this, like, at times, sort of muted un, uninteresting sentence <laughs> yeah i don't know damon breaking out with that choir at the end of the album it feels like it feels like a demon days moment you know what i mean i love it but i don't feel like we've been through a demon days-esque journey so when we get to this rapturous moment at the end it doesn't really feel like it's coming at the end of anything it just feels like it's kind of there it doesn't feel like we've earned this kind of revelatory outburst it almost feels like damon's like young americans or something to me i love this Mm. song i really love the song there's one lyric that sticks out to me that's um when damon sings as above so below which is a quote from the emerald tablet of Hermes trismegistus a cryptic egyptian greek wisdom text from the second century that forms the basis of hermeticism and was highly regarded by european alchemists Oh, weird. As above, so below is kind of like a formula by which all types of magic are claimed to function, I guess. Weird. And by quoting that here, it feels like Damon is saying that love is a form of magic and that with relationships, what you get is ultimately based on what you put into it, which is a pretty cool and neat way to end the album, I think. I like that. I just love that hook, man. I think it's I think it's dynamite. I love this song, man. For sure, top three. My top three on this record is mm. absolutely Mr. Tembo, You and Me, and Heavy Seas of Love. And I've got Everyday Robots, Lonely Press Play, and that. A little song about a baby elephant. <laughs> uh, here we are at the end of a... Of a, of a, of a less celebratory episode of hallelujah monkeys than than perhaps you're used to yeah it feels a little it feels a little it feels kind of lame to be coming down so weak on everyday robots you know we finally get to damon's we finally get to like you know this is like this kind of like our dad you know it's kind of like our dad's own little pet project and we're not super into it so that doesn't feel great but you know trevor i'd be really interested to know uh, you know of our listeners those of you who like really hold this album as something special like maybe as as I bet, I wonder if it's like Plastic Beach people really like this one, or... I've never met a Gorillaz fan who has been like, you absolutely need to listen to Everyday Robots. I've heard, the only one I ever hear referred to on this uh, is is Mr. Tembo. I hear people talking about Mr. Tembo. Not even that. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. This was, this was like a moment in time. I'm glad that it represents the end of the Richard Russell chapter. I don't I don't think that, that what they did together was particularly fruitful, although... I think what Richard did worked better for Womack than it did for Damon. Totally. Uh, he should just go continue collecting his Adele checks and stay out of my Damon Albarn music. Yeah, leave our gorilla boy alone. Uh, I do like that we get a lot of humans players on here, though. Do you think, Trevor, what are the odds that we're going to see a lot of these boys on this 2018 Gorillas album? Do you think that because this material is being generated on tour that we're going to hear some Shea and some some Jeff Wooten and and the rest of the gang on these tracks. They weren't super represented on the fall, were they? I mean, it, we could I feel like there's a 50/50 chance, you know, you get a lot of contributing instrumentation from the people that Damon has on hand or you just have him doing the whole thing with his iPad again. Yeah, it's a good question. We'll we'll have to we'll have to keep the eyes peeled. I'd like to see certainly I'd like to see Jeff Wooten make an appearance because I don't know that he's ever actually played on a Gorillaz track, has he? I don't know. Do you think we'll ever get another Damon solo album? Mm, if we did, I'd imagine that it would be in, under a very different context. I think it would happen like 
I think he'd be significantly older than he is now. Uh, I'd be, I feel like it would come after a period of inactivity. Um, and it would be kind of a shaking the dust off record if we ever got another. Yeah, it definitely would feel like probably a different animal than this one. Definitely, mm-hmm. definitely. Mm-hmm. I, I honestly, what I'd like it to be is just a full album of the songs that make his daughter cry at her birthday party. I'd love him to just rattle off all of his corny dad songs. That's what I want. That sounds like a that sounds like a Magnetic Fields album. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> because <laughs> Mr. Temo is charming. I'd love, I want more stuff like it. It's fun. Yeah, totally. It's, it's definitely the keeper from this record. Give me that, give me that unashamed Pitchfork 3.2 album <laughs> where David Albarn, every song has ukulele and you can hear him dancing and he's wearing a dumb hat. <laughs> we can only dream. But that's uh that's that's everyday robots, and that was season five of Howling Monkeys. Yeah, should we should we talk a little bit about like what next season's gonna be? Right, because now we've exhausted the gorillas canon. There's like there's like little things that we that we'll eventually go back and do. Like I think I'd, I'd like to spend some time with you in the future on maybe some of the phase three outtakes we haven't talked about yet, and maybe some of the more meaty like side music videos that we haven't talked about. Uh, with with much depth and also the 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 bonus stuff from uh, from bananas, I'd like to get to some of that stuff with you down the line. Right, but those aren't full episodes. No, certainly not, certainly not. And I also think we have something maybe special uh, planned for for like our ten month anniversary as well. Definitely, yeah, we're we're going to be ten, so we'll talk about yeah, we'll talk about that. But from now on, we're going to be heading in in an increasingly collaborative focused kind of direction. We're going to finally be getting into the huge kind of backlog of albums by notable Gorillaz collaborators. Yeah, and and isn't there like a specific format we're doing here or something? It's very interesting. We're going to be sticking to a specific format. You know, our seasons are six episodes, so we're going to be sticking to that, all right? So the first episode of these new seasons, we're finally going to be talking about Blur. The first episode of every season from now on is going to be a different Blur album. So next season starts with, our next episode starts with the first Blur album, Leisure. Which is going to be very interesting. It's going to be very interesting, Trevor. That, that'll be a lot of fun. Yeah. We're going to see. There's going to be, you're going to, you're going to learn that, that Dylan Flynn has a complicated relationship with Blur. <laughs> interesting. I'm just going to lay the next season out right now, you know, just to give the uh, kind of blueprint for what we're going to be doing. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. First episode, a Blur album, Leisure. Next episode after that, we're going to be working on phase one. We're going to be looking at a phase one collaborator. Who better to start with? Miho Itori, Noodle herself, right? Awesome, awesome. So we're going to be looking at um, Chiba Matto's classic album, Viva La Woman. Very exciting. I haven't listened to that record probably since I was 13 years old, so that'll be interesting. After that, phase two, look at a collaborator from that era, you know, big hit, Feel Good Inc. That is many people's definitive gorilla song, so let's take a look at De La Soul. We're going to be reviewing... De La Soul, probably a lot of people's definitive Gorillaz collaborator as well. Yeah, we're going to be reviewing their classic album, Three Feet High and Rising. A totally innovative, very influential hip-hop album. Oh, that'll be so much fun. That'll be great. (laughs) That'll be so much fun, Trevor. I can't wait. So, Phase 3, episode after that, who's a big collaborator from Phase 3? You know, one of the only Gorillaz collaborators ever to get his own character besides Dell. Mostef. Oh, of course. We're talking about Mostef, Sun, Moon, and Stars, y'all. Black on both sides. So we're going to be chewing on that for a bit. Black on both sides. That finally brings us up to the humans era. So episode five of the next season is going to be Vince Staples, Big Fish Theory. Awesome. Awesome. Can't wait. One of the first collaborations we got on Ascension. This album has a song produced by Damon. You and I saw, saw a lot of this material live. And the sixth and final episode of the season, and this is going to be a new tradition. I'm really looking forward to it. Me too. We're going to be doing movie nights. Oh, so exciting. Because Gorillaz have collaborated <laughs> with uh, more than just musicians. It's true. It's true. One of the two members of the band is a musician. It's Jamie Hewlett. So for this first movie night, we're going to be looking at a movie based on a character of his creation, Tank Girl. Oh, man. I've only ever seen this movie, like edited for television on Comedy Central in, like, the early 2000s. Same. Same. <laughs> and I've never sat down and watched it front to back, even on Comedy Central, so... Me either, me either. That'll be fun. That's gonna be a very interesting experience for us. I think I think Tank Girl was, like, 
a really big deal for a certain kind of teenage girl in the 1990s, too. The movie, specifically. As she should be. As she should be. Uh, so, yeah, that's what it's going to be. It's going to be a Blur album. We're going to look at a collaborator from each phase, and we're going to have a movie night. That's that's our blueprint for, for the upcoming seasons, uh, you know, until maybe we get into this weird phase 4.5 new gorillas material heavy stuff yeah uh, obviously we will review stuff as it comes out absolutely absolutely well i'm very excited mm-hmm. to to crack open the book of blur with you next week trevor i know i've been waiting for this because blur are one of my favorite bands of all time leisure we're gonna start with leisure we gotta do it not one of my favorite albums of all time but we gotta start somewhere we gotta start somewhere and so do the boys as for now let's end season five dylan you want to land this plane and tell everyone where they can find us online if you still remember yes absolutely uh be sure be sure to reach out to us on twitter and facebook and tumblr and instagram and amino and uh leave us a review on itunes become a patron remember if you come a patron at a, at a dollar or more uh you get access to our exclusive bonus patreon keys club episode which will be starting on the 23rd of this month obviously if you sign up after that you'll still have access to the back catalog of those uh bonus episodes as well uh and uh and yeah just to send us an email to to howlyoumonkeys at gmail.com we always do our best to, to respond to any email we get from you guys. Always love hearing from you guys. And join our Discord at discord.me slash monkeys with a Z to join the coolest uh, community on the internet, the Hallelujah Monkeys listener community. Yeah, come chat with everybody else. And uh, thanks for supporting the show. Also, I don't think we mentioned it, but stay tuned uh, until after we're done because I think we're going to have a new Logos song. I haven't oh, talked do to we? him. I, I he, haven't talked to him either. We'll, I think we'll he see. said he would send me one last one to round out this season, but you know, Great. hopefully... <laughs> Hopefully we'll get a cool little mashup at the end. Me too, because I've, yeah. I've loved all of them this season. It'd be nice to end it off with one. Yeah, yeah. But uh, until next time, when we finally get to season six, I've been Trevor Ickrath. And I've been tired. Very tired, Trevor. Very tired. Right. But you're also Dylan Flynn. I'm also Dylan Flynn. <laughs> we'll talk to you in a week, hopefully. Until then, don't get lost in heaven. Demo bots. In this story, you're a baby elephant. (laughs) I'm with you. I'm with you. All right. So you're a baby elephant, and you live in a place called Mukamazi, Uh which is a... a (laughs) You good? I'm good. All right, so you're a baby elephant. (laughs) 